This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. So again, to review, he was running from God, chapter 1. We learned that obedience is doing what God wants. Disobedience is finding a way to rebel. And pain is God's megaphone to warn us. And discipline is God's loving provision. In chapter 2, we see that when Jonah was running to God, he was in the belly of the fish, he's at the bottom of the ocean, seaweed is wrapping around his head and neck, and he's crying out to God. He's praying to God, focusing upon God, relying upon God, and surrendering to God. He was running to God. Then we see in chapter 3, he's running for God. Uh, the Lord commanded the fish to expel him on land there in Nineveh, and he starts walking through the great city of Nineveh, saying, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. And he's obeying the word of the Lord, he's telling people the word of the Lord, and he's leaving the results up to God. And lo and behold, uh, all the people uh, repent and are wearing sackcloth, symbolic of their grief over their sin and crying out to God for mercy, and God relents. He does not destroy the great city of Nineveh. Now we're at chapter 4, Jonah running behind God. May I just say something fun right at the top, and it's this. God must work harder at getting his chosen leader into an obedient posture than he has to for the Ninevites. Isn't that true? When the Ninevites heard the message, they responded. They uh, fasted, they repented, they grieved over their sin, they turned from their wicked ways. And boy, this Jonah fella, he needs a little uh, extra grace and care because uh, he's not getting it. He's not understanding the heart of God for all people, not just for Israel. So let's move on here. The outline for today's message is simple, four points, that God forgives sin out of his grace. Aren't you grateful for that? Grace is God's unmerited favor, and God chooses to forgive us of our sin, especially when we don't deserve it. That's grace. And then God is true to his character. He's compassionate, and he is forgiving. And God questions our judgment. When we think we know better than him, he questions us and says, is that so? We'll learn about that. And then God illustrates his compassion for Jonah using an object lesson of a plant. Let's look at this. First of all, God forgives sin out of his grace. It says in Jonah 4.1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. The word but means that after God relented from the destruction he was going to mete out on wicked Nineveh, Jonah deemed this as wrong, and he was angry about it. He was 
frustrated. He was depressed. He was disappointed. He was mad at God for not carrying through on judgment and destroying Israel's number one national threat, the Ninevites. Now, this is powerful. Was Nineveh being forgiven a violation of justice? Jonah was thinking the guilty should not be forgiven. They should be punished. Jonah was thinking violent people should be punished even more severely. Jonah was thinking those who have not shown mercy should not be shown mercy. Jonah was thinking some sins just can't be forgiven. Jonah was thinking forgiveness is condoning evil behavior. Jonah was thinking it's unpatriotic to pardon Israel's worst enemies. For all these reasons and more, Jonah was angry. He felt God was not being just. Now, this is very important because I went to speak at a high school, a public high school, on the topic of Christianity. And the number one thing the students couldn't get over was the concept of God's grace. At the time, there was a serial killer on death row, and someone had gone in and witnessed to him the gospel of the forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And this serial killer received Christ, and the high school students were baffled. They said, do you mean to tell us that God forgave him for killing a number of people for all those murders? And I said, yes, that is the grace of God. It's unfathomable. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. How could God forgive evil? How could God forgive sin? How could God forgive such injustice done by others? But this is telling us something very profound. The grace of God is his prerogative to bestow upon us divine pardon when we least deserve it. And that there's no sin that God cannot forgive. Some of you are still struggling. You say, I had an abortion when I was a teenager, or I uh, committed adultery, or I've had a divorce. There's no unpardonable sin. It's under the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for all your sins. Your sins are forgiven. They are separated from you as far as east is from west. They're buried in the deepest sea. And as Corey Temboom says, there's a sign there that says, no fishing allowed. Your sins are forgiven and forgotten. And through the death of Christ that we're going to remember in communion today, when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ himself. Praise God that he forgives us out of his grace. His grace is greater than all our sin. God is true to his character. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So Jonah tells the reason why he's mad and why he ran away, as it says in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So uh, Nineveh is where Mosul is today. And Tarshish is where Spain is today. So he went completely in the opposite direction. This would have been a 500-mile trip. This would have been a 2,500-mile trip. Isn't it interesting how far we'll go out of our way to disobey God? And yet, why did he do it? Well, here he reveals why. He knew that God's character is one of love and forgiveness, of grace and compassion. And he didn't want his enemies forgiven. He didn't want the guilty pardoned. He wanted to see them destroyed. He wanted to see them wiped off the face of the earth. He wanted to see them get their upcomings and their just desserts. He wanted these people to get the worst of the worst. And he didn't want to be a traitor to his own people, preach repentance, and then these people get spared. God put him in a pretty tough predicament. He was in a pickle. And how did he deal with it? He ran away. But you know what? God is true to his character. We may be faithless and unfaithful at times, but God remains faithful to who he is and what he's about. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, God said to Moses, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And he put him in a cave and he passed by. And when he passed by in front of Moses, he proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Isn't that interesting? God revealed himself to Moses, and he said who he is and what he's about. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He does show love to thousands, and he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. If they continue in their rebellion and rejection of him, there will be punishment. There will be justice because either you receive Christ and ex experience his forgiveness and divine pardon or you reject Christ and go it on your own merits and your own merits are not enough and you'll be eternally separated from God. So Jonah's view of God was limited on one hand. People who were Israelites believed that God was limited to the temple in Jerusalem and only to the soil of Israel. God's trying to show Jonah, I'm not just the God of Israel. I'm the God of all humanity. He is the God of all peoples, not just one people. The Israelites were a chosen people to be a witness to all people. And they forgot that, and they were hoarding God to themselves and not sharing the good news. Our God loves you, and he wants to forgive you of your sins if you'll trust in him. And Christians today... We're entrusted with the gospel, but are we sharing it or are we hoarding it? We ought to be telling people there's forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's good news of great joy. Jonah had experienced God's grace when he had been rescued. 
You remember he was thrown by the sailors overboard? Right then, he should have drowned. God should have let Jonah drown because Jonah refused to obey God. Jonah chose willfully to run in the other direction than obey God. Right there, God should have let Jonah drown. But what did God do? He provided a fish, a great large fish, to swallow Jonah whole and somehow keep him alive for three days in his belly. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of God's grace. God's amazing grace. And then when Jonah repented and he came back to God and God commanded that the fish expel him on shore, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God should have said, you're done with. You know, I spared your life, but forget using you ever again. But no, God's word came to Jonah a second time. What's that? That's God's amazing grace. How many chances has God given you? How many times has he patiently, lovingly come back to you time and time again when you have failed him, when you have rebelled against him, when you've forgotten him, when you've turned away from him, God's steadfast love has pursued you and has not let you go. Why? Because God in his love and in his grace wants to include you as a partner with him in the mission of reaching a lost world for Christ. His steadfast love, his loving kindness leads us to repentance. You know, when you admit that God loves you and you don't deserve that level of love, you finally quit being a rebel and start loving him voluntarily from your heart because you realize he really loves you and nothing you can do can make him love you less. When you realize how much God loves you and forgives you and gives you his grace, you melt into a heart of adoration and praise and willing obedience because that's a God you can surrender to. That's a God you can trust. That's a God you can give yourself to and know that he loves you just the way you are, but he'll grow you to be what he wants you to be. What a great God we have. He's true to his character. So while Jonah experienced God's grace and he had been rescued and given a second chance to obey, Jonah objected to God's acting in character in withholding judgment when Nineveh repented. We who are undeserving ourselves of God's mercy can hardly object when God showers his mercy on others who may be undeserving too. And then God questions our judgment. Jonah 4, verses 3 and 4. Now, Lord, Jonah says to the Lord, Take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now watch this. Jonah is both depressed and angry. By the way, depression is anger turned inward. When you are angry and you don't express that anger, you stuff the anger, guess what? It leads to depression. Depression is anger turned inwardly. So anger is to be vented to God. It's to be trusted to friends and counselors to be sorted out and to come to terms with the unfairness or with the cognitive dissonance that you have. But don't stuff your anger. 
work it out with a trusted friend. So why is it better for Jonah to die in Jonah's estimation? Because Jonah doesn't want to be known as a traitor to Israel. I'm great. You know, everyone's going to say, Jonah is that prophet who gave an opportunity for our worst enemies to be forgiven by God so they would not be destroyed by judgment for all the heinous violence and the horrific evil they did. Great job, traitor Jonah. God, I'm going to be known as a traitor from now on. I was a patriot, and now I'm known as a traitor. Jonah was more concerned about his reputation than God's reputation. And we need to be saying glory to God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy will be, come, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we need to be saying. So God questions Jonah's judgment of two things. First of all, he questions Jonah's belief that the Ninevites should still be judged as guilty and destroyed. That's not Jonah's call. It's God's. Second, Jonah questions, uh, God questions Jonah's belief that it's better for him to die physically than to die of shame for being the reason why the Ninevites were spared judgment and destruction, which they so deserved. He should be concerned about God's glory. So we, God questions our judgments when we choose not to forgive someone when God has forgiven us for so much more that we have done against him. Are you tracking? I'm meddling now. I am meddling. I'm getting down to the nubbins and stepping on some toes here when we choose not to forgive someone, when God has forgiven us so much more that we have done against him. He's questioning us and saying, have you not experienced my grace? Don't you get who I am? Don't you get who you're supposed to be like? You're supposed to be like me and you're supposed to show compassion and grace and practice forgiveness even when people don't deserve it, especially when people don't deserve it. Forgive in the name of Jesus. God questions our judgments when we don't want to live anymore because we would rather be dead right. We'd rather be dead right in our own opinion than alive and not get our own way and have things turn out the way we insist that they should. Have you ever seen a, an adult temper tantrum? Well, now you have. Jonah. I didn't get my way. I'm just so mad I die. I love the Bible because these people are real and we can all relate to them at one time or another. But what do you do when you don't get your way? How do you react when God does the opposite of what you expected? Is not God God? Are not his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth? Who do we think we are? It says in Romans 11, 33 and 34, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Is there anybody here who would like to volunteer to be a counselor to the Lord God Almighty who is all-wise, omniscient, omniscient, knowing all things. Anybody? Okay, hey, you're really coward, chicken out now. You, you talked big stuff the other day when you said, boy, if God was here, I'd tell him how to do it. And my prayers are very specific. I give him instructions on how to carry everything out. Oh, really? You're God's counselor, are you? Uh-uh, uh-uh. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So God questions us 
when we think we know better than Him. God questions us when we think we're wiser than Him. Jesus told a parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. This guy hires people early in the morning to work in the vineyard, and they work in the vineyard all day under the hot, blazing sun, and he keeps on hiring people throughout the day, and he even hires people one hour before quitting time. And when everyone starts getting their pay, he pays the people who only work for one hour a full day's wage. So the guys who worked from the beginning of the workday think, oh man, if he's giving those guys who gave only one hour of work a full day's pay, a wage, we're going to get that plus the full day. They come and they get paid the same thing, a full day's wage. Wait a second, that's not fair. Another adult temper tantrum. These workers are mad. And Jesus tells in this parable what the... Uh, the boss man says, he says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius, a full day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? God can choose to be generous in mercy, to be generous with grace, to be generous with forgiveness. And who are we to question him? God is God, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Well, God illustrates his compassion to Jonah by this, giving him an object lesson, Jonah 4, 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I love this. He's there uh, outside the city, very angry with God for relenting from destroying Nineveh for its great wickedness and having mercy on his worst and Israel's worst enemies. He's still hoping and holding out that perhaps God will still wipe out Nineveh for some, with some fire from the sky or a tsunami from the sea. And he's making a shelter because he's going to hunker down and not budge until his way of how things should happen comes to pass. Jonah was stubborn for justice as he saw it, and Jonah was set on execution for guilt. Jonah had no room for forgiveness. Jonah had no thought of allowing for mercy. Jonah had no place in his heart for grace. Jonah did not get God. He did not understand who God really is. He, his attitude was, let them burn in hell for what they've done. They deserve the worst punishment imaginable, and then some. I want to see these people get what they deserve. I want to be a witness to them getting the electric chair for all the torturing they did and gruesome murders they committed. He's saying, in essence, if God is a God of justice, if he's holy, if he cannot tolerate evil, if God punishes sin, if God's wrath is against Israel's enemies, then surely he will destroy these people and wipe them out forever. That's Jonah's attitude. And his possible thoughts are, oh, it's not over yet. It's a slight delay before the boom drops. I will wait until God realizes he made a mistake by not doing it my way. God may have forgiven them, but they will do it again, and then he will destroy them. I will wait until they prove that their repentance wasn't real, because then God will finally be with them and put an end to this city of sin. Jonah's just waiting. Well, in the meantime, the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up 
over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So God uses object lessons to teach us. Here he used the brief life of a plant that provided useful shade to teach Jonah about his grace and forgiveness. Is God trying to show you something of great spiritual significance through an object lesson? Is God using the loss of money on the stock market to teach you to rely upon him for true treasures that last? Is God using the threat of the coronavirus to teach you to make sure you have trusted in Christ for eternal life? Is God using your relationship with your grandchildren or great-grandchildren to teach you more of how he wants to relate to you? God uses object lessons to teach us. Jesus used lesser objects to show the significance of how valuable you are to your loving Heavenly Father. In Matthew 6, 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then again in Matthew 6, 28 to 30, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So God uses object lessons all the time to try to teach us so we can get it. We don't have to lag behind him. We could walk with him and run for him. And notice the three things that God provided. He provided a leafy plant, which was good. It provided shade. He provided a worm to eat the plant, which is bad because then Jonah lost his shade. And God provided a scorching east wind and the sun to blaze on Jonah's head so that he was sapped of all his energy and the will to live any longer. God provided so that Jonah would have an environment to learn. God never twists our arms and says, ah, you've got to believe this way. He never forces us to believe a certain way. He gives us an environment that gives us all the clues of what we should believe. And it's up to us to get a clue. It's up to us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It's up to us to agree with God. Say, you are God and I'm not. You can forgive and I should forgive. What's it going to take? Well, the whole purpose for this object lesson is God questioning Jonah again. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah throws an adult temper tantrum. It is! And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. <laughs> I'm sorry, this story is too good not to act it out. So God questions Jonah's judgment again. Is it right for you to be angry? He's angry about a mere plant compared to human beings made in the image of God. He's angry about a plant that provided shade being destroyed by a pest when he had no part in planting that plant or helping that plant grow, as opposed to God giving life to these people. He was angry about the brevity of a life that he had hoped would be with him forever. He is angry about his comfortable life being abruptly interrupted by pain, grief, and a total lack of energy. He wanted to die. First, because he was going to be called a traitor. Second, because he couldn't take the heat without the shade of his favorite plant. And thirdly, he still wanted to die when God questioned him 
because of his level of anger. On a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being this is totally unacceptable and completely unbearable, Jonah was saying, I can't take it anymore, I quit, I throw in the towel, game over, I'm out, remove me because I've had enough, and I'm miserable to the point of utter resignation and disrespectful disregard for life. This is a 15. So, does our anger or depression ever qualify us to commit suicide? The answer is no. Suicide is a selfish choice. It affects everyone around us and sets a precedent of weakness for them. God is the only one who can give and take life. We must stand for the sanctity of life, both for the unborn and for those who are diminishing in the quality of life. God is God. So God illustrates his compassion when he says, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? He is saying, look, I made these people in my image. Look, there are 120,000 children. They're not at the age of accountability yet. John MacArthur says they're three and four-year-olds. There's 120,000 three and four-year-olds who don't even know what's going up or down in a town of six, a great city of 600,000. And you want me to destroy them? You want me to wipe them out? Where's your understanding that human life is valuable? Where's your understanding of my heart that I will that none should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of the truth? Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.